1: So our
0: guest today quit his job at the age of 37, and he's got passive income to support real financial freedom, permanent financial freedom, using real estate that he can pass down to his, his family, and he calls himself successively unemployed. I love that. And on the call today, we're going to find out how he left his J-O-B. Just a reminder that we still have Dealmaker Live is June 2nd through 4th in Dallas at the Hilton Anatole. Uh, We have Damon John actually confirmed as our keynote speaker. Robert Helms is going to be there. We still got early bird pricing. Check it out at dealmakerliveevent.com. It's going to be the event of the year. Great place for you to learn and connect with others, find deals and capital. That's at dealmakerliveevent.com. Also, if you've attended any one of our events or used a syndicated deal analyzer or participated in any one of our programs, or if the book has helped you or if the podcast helped you in some way and you close at least one deal with any of the stuff that we put out, I'd like to hear from you. We'd like to like to see if maybe you're a potential guest for the for the podcast. And just we have these financial freedom coins that we send people and we want to send you these coins and recognize you potentially at Dealmaker Live as well. So if that's you, if that's ascribing you right now, then send us an email to podcast at com. That's podcast at com, and we'll be in touch as well. Shout out to Nisha who left us a review in iTunes. Michael and Garrett do a great job making sure the content is relatable for viewers who are new to investing. I would highly recommend this podcast to anyone curious. That's cool. I love that word curious, Nisha. Thanks for that. I really appreciate that. Also, a quick question from Instagram, and the question asked there was, is there a typical time frame that I can expect to close my first apartment deal when I finally decide to jump in and get started? Yes, the typical time frame is 1 year. Now, some people do it sooner, some people takes a little bit longer, but when the time when you decide you're going to get into multifamily, whether of any size, you're about one year away from your first deal and about another year from quitting your job, and this is why this is the most powerful vehicle on the planet to quit your job in the next one to three years, and that's apartment building. So thank you for that question as well. And let's bring in our co-host, Garrett Lynch. Garrett, what's going on? Hey, Michael. So Garrett, I, I want to talk to you about picking the right market, right? And and so we, this is a, a lot of students get stuck on this step of the of the blueprint of the process. They're kind of overanalyzed markets because, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of good markets to pick from. There's almost not a bad market. You know, I'm like maybe Buffalo, New York, okay? but who wants to invest there? No offense. But so what among all these 20, 30 markets that you can invest in, what what are some considerations? How do you kind of narrow it down a
2: little bit? All right. So this is, and by the way, this is over time, I've, my opinion has changed. So this isn't like just a, something that is just a black and white scenario. That said, there are some strategies that you can put in a place. So one of the things that at least I found over time is when you, you got to look at the size building that you're doing, obviously. So if you're going in and you're buying like a four unit, you're probably not going to want to go too far outside of where you can drive. Uh, and the reason for that is because you're going to have to go check on that property and that that property can't support your travel expenses. So buying, living in California, buying in New York or buying in uh, Pennsylvania or something like that, a four-flat, small building, that's not going to work out too well for you uh, when you need to go there in an emergency situation or whatever. So I'd say buying far away, uh, you probably want to look at a minimum of 50, but ideally it's over 100 units. Uh, when you're going on a plane trip somewhere. And then part of that is now, you know, our assets, it's a lot harder for us to pick properties that have leg flights. So if there's if they're jumping over and there's two flights every time you got to get there, you're not going to go there as much. Now, that said, that's just a logistical factor that's going to affect your operations if you go down that path. As far as the actual market being successful, some people like to go into secondary markets, tertiary. And then there's a whole group of people that go into primary. Now, primary are the harder markets to get into, but I think that they serve you better in the, the long run because A, there's more inventory there. And B, you're just going to have an easier time you know, operating there with the labor pool. I think the, the number one factor people don't look at is what kind of labor pool is going to be in that market when you get there. There has to be employees that are able and willing to run the properties when you get into that market in order for it to be successful. And if you pick a market that's too small, you're not going to find that as easily.
0: Yeah, this is the thing about the small markets. This is why we warn against them because of the labor pool, the ability to manage. If there's one person that can manage that property and that person leaves, And you can't call another five property managers within like 24 hours. You got yourself a problem. And number two is inventory. You mentioned the word inventory. I find that fascinating because, man, we love Huntsville to death. We we literally build our entire business in Huntsville if we could, but there's not enough inventory to do four deals a year, which is really sad because we love Huntsville. So what you need is, you know, we're looking at analyzing two to whatever five deals a week. And you ha- your market has to support that level of volume. And if it doesn't, you either have to find a larger market or possibly two smaller markets. I mean, you could, for example, say, hey, you know what? We're going to do Chattanooga, Birmingham, and uh, Huntsville, and those are my three markets. Now, somewhat three times more work those are all great markets. Or you can just go into, for example, Atlanta and be done with it, though, again, it's a little harder to get into. But the, the word inventory is super important because you, be, you have to be able to build your business in what area. So one of the things, for example, in Birmingham is we did one deal and just could never do another deal or Chattanooga. And it's very difficult to build a business. You need some amount of scale. Uh, And so that's really good advice, Garrett, about, about the other one. For me, tiebreaker is you mentioned logistics. The other one is preference, right? I mean, if you have friends or family there, you went to school at one point, you know, or you like it sunnier, or warmer, or colder, or drier. Then go there. You know, what are your preferences? There's a lot of tiebreakers there. So, but do not get stuck up, hung up on on the market. The worst worst case scenario, in air quotes, is that you switch markets down the road. It's not the end of the world. We're in multiple markets. We don't love being in multiple markets, but it's not the end of the world to switch as well. So, with that, let's get into the podcast. Here we got Dustin Heiner here as a founder and host of Master Passive Income. It's a blog, a podcast, YouTube channel. This guy is really excited about real estate. You know, he quit his job in 2016. He built a, a rental portfolio and he just shares his passion about real estate in general. And, and what I like about it is, even though he's in, in single family rentals, how to build a business from scratch. And I think you'll see that as a core focus. So let's get right here in their show with Dustin
1: Heiner. Dustin, welcome to the show today. Hey, hey, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on the show, man. I just I love real estate investing in general, all types of real estate investing. It's more of like, it's not like real estate's fantastic. It's that what it affords me to do in my life, being financially free and successfully unemployed is what I like to call it. So I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, I love, I, I love that. And the common thread really is, is real estate. You know, It's made more millionaires than anything else on, on earth. But more importantly, you know, who wants to mil- uh, be a millionaire? We want to control our time. We want financial freedom. And that's really what, what we're about. So, but you probably weren't born in real estate investing like Donald Trump was. What was your story? How did you get into real estate?
1: Yeah, I definitely wasn't born uh, into real estate investing. In fact, we were like poor, like really, really poor. Grew up in a two bedroom house, it was like 800 square feet with my brother and myself and my parents. But so I'll jump to the end and then go right back to the beginning. So, the end, when I was 37 years old, I was able to quit my job and be successfully unemployed because I had over 30 rental properties. I like residential properties, and they were making me a minimum of $250, $50 a month. $250 $250 a month from every door. But I'll quickly go back to the beginning. So I got to tell you the story about me getting into where I was catapulted in to become an investor. So when I was younger, I was always entrepreneurial, always wanted to start businesses. I even had a newspaper route where I rode a bike with newspapers in my bags and throwing the newspapers at five in the morning, banging them on garage doors, waking people up. Had a graphic website design company, had a skateboard manufacturing business, even a pizzeria and a convenience store that I all developed all those on my own, build them up from scratch. But at the same time, just like everybody, I was taught you go to school, you get good grades. Then you go to college, spend thousands and thousands of dollars getting into debt and get good grades and then get a piece of paper. It's called a degree. And then you take that degree to a job. I call it a J-O-B. You're living just over broke. And so you take that and you hopefully get a career working 40 plus years at a place and then retire when you're 65, 70 years old on half of what you you know raised or you saved what you had your whole entire life. And so, I was doing that. And so, this is what really got me to become a real estate investor. So, I was working a regular nine-to-five job at a local county department doing IT work in California, one of the counties there. And doing IT work, my wife and I started having kid after kid. And I bought one rental property at the time, I think I might have two. And I knew I wanted to be an investor. But, you know, life gets in the way. We eventually had four kids and I kind of stopped investing. But after our fourth kid, right when she was born, our fourth child was born, I went on paternity leave. That's where the dad stays home with the mom, changes poopy diapers and bonds with the baby and helps mommy and all that sort of stuff. And then I go back to work. And in that week that I go back to work on a Friday at 3.30 in the afternoon, I get a call from my boss's 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 secretary, like the top dog says, Dustin, would you please come to the office? I said, sure. I hung up the phone and I go to the boss's office. And as I'm, I'm walking down the hallway, I sit there and I think, or as I'm walking, I think, my goodness, why are they calling me to the office? This isn't normal. And I started remembering a couple months before I went on paternity leave, there was some rumors in the office or some rumblings going on that there could potentially be layoffs. I immediately shook that off, like, no way, there's no way that's me. I've been here 12, 13 years. I have so much seniority. My bosses think I do a great job. There is no way. So I start walking down the hallway, and as I walk, it feels like my feet become lead bricks, and it's harder and harder to walk. And this hallway is rather short, but it feels like it gets longer and longer and longer because the weight of potentially losing my job is weighing on me. Well, I get through the hallway. And I turn the corner and I see my boss's door. His door is closed. And I look at his secretary and she looks at me and she sheepishly kind of grins at me and says, Dustin, would you please have a seat? And she's consoling me with her eyes because she knows everything about what's going on. I know nothing about what's going on. So I go and take my seat. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about my life. Like, oh my goodness, I thought I had to work my life and get a career. But if that's taken away from me, was that all a waste? And then if I can't for provide for my family, does that make me a failure as a father? Does that make me a failure as a husband, as a, as a man trying to provide for his family? Well, as I'm sitting there, my hands get all clammy, my forehead gets all sweaty because the weight of everything is crushing down on me. Then the door to my boss's office opens up and out walks a lady. She's a coworker of mine with a piece of paper in her hands. She is noticeably distraught, noticeably upset, not necessarily crying, but you could absolutely tell. Her world has been rocked. And as she passes by me, my boss says, Dustin, would you please come into the office? So I get up and I go into his office and I get laid off. And remember, this is the government. Nobody gets fired or laid off from the government, but I did. And so if it happened to me, it can happen to everybody. And so I take that layoff notice and I walk back down the, that short hallway to my desk and I sit down at my desk and I realize two things. Right then and there. Now, I could have just wallowed in it and said, oh my goodness, and just kind of shut down. I didn't. I realized two things. Number one, I need to get another job. I need to be able to provide for my family. So I was really blessed, praise the Lord, to be able to find another job in the same county, whole another department, sheriff's department, great department doing IT work there. So I got that one done, check. Now, the other thing, while I'm sitting in that chair, I realized the second thing. I need to make sure this never, ever happens to me ever again. I need to make sure that nobody has the ability to take away my ability to feed my family. So right then and there, I realized I'm going to tell everybody that I'm an investor. Whenever somebody would ask me the question, Dustin, what do you do? I would say, oh, I work for the county. I do IT work in the county, basically labeling or giving my value out to somebody else as my job. No, my value doesn't come from my job. My value comes from my God, myself, and my family. And so I realized then and there, that I am going to now be an investor. It may so happen that 100% of my money comes from my job. That's now my part-time job. I'm a full-time investor. I'll fast forward the story. I worked another five or six years, kept buying property after property after property, eventually got 30 plus properties. I was like, my goodness, why am I working here? Even though I'm making $75,000 a year here, I need to quit. I'm losing money. And here's how everybody, if you get anything out of the story, you need to realize this. Your value is so much more than anybody could ever pay you. And you know this by understanding that your boss is just paying you enough to keep you working without quitting, but not so much money. It takes money out of their pocket. So I'll round up the story by sharing. I went after I realized I had enough money from my properties, passive income, without to not work. I went to my new boss and I said, Boss, I'm laying you off. You know, jokingly, but I said, here's my two weeks' notice. And he said, Dustin, what are you gonna do? And I said, boss, I don't have to do anything. I have real estate. I literally don't work and I make money. So last part of the story is I walked to my car. The very last time I walked from my work to my car, it's about a mile and a half walk because I was frugal. I didn't want to pay for parking. And I've taken this walk a thousand times. Now, if you contrast this walk from the one, me walking down that short hallway where my, my feet felt like they were lead bricks I took this walk this last time. I felt like I was walking on clouds because looking back, I knew I would never, ever need another job again. So I'll pause the story and let you ask questions. You probably got lots of them.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. How, how long did it take you from that time that you started to uh, quitting your job? I want to say it was about five years, maybe almost six years. That's amazing. I mean, what? so how did you stick with it for so long, right? Because it's a long time and people are watching you, and you know Dustin's kind of crazy, right? He's he's got he's crazy talking right now, and he's buying a house. That's a mistake. Like, how I mean, You know, how did you how did you how were you able to overcome your initial fear? Number one, to buy that first or,
1: or house, and then and then stick with it for six years. I really thought that. I was told originally, you know, work 40, 50 years for somebody else. And I'm like, well, in five or six years, that's like a 10th of what I was going to actually have to wait that long to actually do that. So that was, for me, a big eye-opening. And then on top of that, I realized that eventually, if we play Monopoly, we'll eventually get to where we have houses and hotels, which now, or I mean, apartments and hotels, which now I actually own hotels. I'm in syndication of some hotels, which is terrific. But I realized that if I got passive income, I love passive income. If I work one time, buy one property, and it makes me money over and over again. And I realized if I needed, actually, I was talking to my wife and I said, how much do we need to cover our expenses? And at the time, it was like $4,200 a month in passive income to be able to cover the expenses. I realized, okay, if it's $4,200, let me do math backwards. I know I can make $250 a month from every single property. And I started investing back in 2006 before the crash. And whether the market went up down or sideways, I still made money because I invested for passive income, not appreciation. So $250 a month, that is $3,000 a year in passive income. I realized, man, if my boss came to me and said, Hey, Dustin, you want $3,000 more? I'd be like, yes, of course I would. So, but then I multiply that out. If I get 10 properties at $250 a month, that's $2,500 a month without working. That's $30,000 a year without working. 20 properties is $5,000 a month. $60,000 a year without working, I realized I could quit my job. And so after buying property after property, now I did it the wrong way. I could definitely explain how to do it, how I did the wrong way and then share you the right way. Now, how I do it now and how I coach everybody how to do it. But that's what I realized. The end goal is getting above $4,200 to 5,000. Now I have 30 plus properties. Each one, now I'm making at least $250 a month in passive income from every single one of those properties. And I don't work. Like a lot of people know the book, The 4-Hour work week. And Michael, I know you guys would definitely appreciate this. I think working four hours a week is for suckers. I don't want to work four hours a week. I don't even want to work four hours a month. I work maybe 30 minutes a month on all of my properties because I set up the business. I have processes and systems in place. So it all works on its own. And I literally just get my property management statements, look at it then put it down and go back to play with my kids.
2: So Dustin, you get basically laid off from your job. How did you go from that into owning property? Like what, I know you got another job, but how did you kind of realize that that was the path forward? And talk to us about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so I already, well, the first thing that I realized was working for somebody else, getting earned income was really, like everybody's taught that, but it's ridiculous. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think it was like in back in, I don't know, 2003, 2004, whatever date that were, year it was. And I read that and I was like, my goodness, there's such a thing as passive income working one time and getting paid over and over again. So I thought, wow, okay. You know, it talks about real estate. Let me look into that. And so I bought one or two properties. I think I had two properties at the time and they were making me money. I remember the first check that I got it. In fact, I'll tell you, quickly tell you the wrong way that I did it. And this was the very first property was the wrong way to do it. And I basically, I flew from California, flew to Ohio, found a realtor and a property manager, put them together and bought a property. The first couple of checks were great. But then in six months, she started stealing from me. My property manager did it. It was horrible. I did it the wrong way. In fact, what I did was after I realized that it could work. Now, remember, I've always been entrepreneurial. That's how I approached, you know, other businesses and I listened to the quote unquote gurus, like back in 2005, 2006, you know, the late night infomercials, Hey, we're coming to your town. It's going to be free. Come here. And then they, there's a sales pitch to run in the back and go spend 5,000, $10,000. So I did that. And what they told me was, this is the wrong way. I'm, I'm answering your question, Garrett, in getting them the wrong way. Cause I want people to not do this. I, they, they told me, remember the wrong way, find an area of the country the best anywhere in the country run the numbers, make sure you find a property, run the numbers, make sure you're making $50, $75 a month in passive income. And But you're going to get appreciation, which I don't invest appreciation. I'm literally going to give these properties to my kids and teach them how to do like, it. If you, if you could see the picture, the background of my video here, you can see I have four kids. I'm literally going to give these to them. So But they tell you, find an area of the country to invest. Run the numbers, make sure you're going to make a little bit of money in passive income. Then you buy the property, spend thousands of dollars buying the property. Then you spend thousands of dollars finding somebody to fix it up. Then you spend thousands thousand dollars to fix it up. Then you find a tenant. Then you find a property manager. In my opinion, that's literally backwards. They're just about backwards. What we do at Master Passive Income, what I love to do is I build the business first because I approached it the wrong way. Then I said, you know what? This is a business. Let me figure it out. What they were telling me was one property was a business. Like, no, in my opinion, your business owns inventory. Let me give you a quick example of what that looks like. If you're going to start a convenience store, you're not going to, you know, soda machines, candy bars, you're not going to sign a lease, open the doors, and set a box of candy bars inside there on the ground. No, if you do that, you go out of business in like two seconds. What you would do, though, is you'd build the business. You get the gondolas, or the shelvings units that these candy bars go on, the countertops, Cold storage, bank accounts, cash registers, insurance, employees, all that sort of stuff before you buy any inventory. Same thing with real estate investing. We make sure we've set up the entire business to work. Then we have that business, then we buy inventory and put that that inventory into our business. Our property is not your business. Your property is inventory for other people to consume. I don't eat every single candy bar in a store, but I buy it and inventory it so that people can buy it. Same thing, my properties. I'm not gonna live there, but other people will. So I'll fast forward to say, that's how I knew because I, I was looking at it as business. That's how I can scale my business. I already have everybody doing all the work for me. All I gotta do is find another property and put that into the business. Does that all make sense? It does
0: make a lot of sense. I think a lot of people approach real estate more of a, a side gig or a hobby. And I, I think it's, it's for practical reasons and that people just don't believe it's going to go anywhere. Right. It's just a bit of a matter of belief. And now we do the same thing that you're describing with apartment buildings. And there's an even larger hurdle of belief, right, because someone can sort of kind of wrap their head around adding to a business and adding another house, the idea of adding an apartment building to a business mentally is a larger, a larger hurdle, though the steps are, are very similar. But approaching it from a business from day one is the right way to do it. But I think you can only do that in a lot of senses, either with a very good mentor or with hindsight because, oh, because of, the, of the reason I said, I mean, I, when you did your first house, you probably weren't believing that this is going to be a million you know, dollar business. You're like, well,
1: let me do one and if it's, see if it works. And I did everything wrong too. I literally did everything wrong because back in 2005, 2006, when I first got started, there was nothing like this. Like your show, Michael, is just fantastic to help everybody to invest in real estate. And there wasn't this great free information on how to do this, as well as there weren't any good mentors that you could either just grab a hold to and work with or coaches like you, Michael, and just say, hey, you've already figured out how to do this let me pay you a little bit of money just like I pay thousands and thousands of dollars to colleges to get a piece of paper. Why don't I pay just a fraction of that so that I can, number one, cut the time that it takes to get to where I want to be, meaning I shorten the time because you've taught me everything and give me the steps to get there, as well as overstepping all the landmines, all the hurdles, all the problems. In fact, what I love with my students, as I show them how to either make enough money to pay for all the coaching or anything that I do, or save enough money for all of that, like, it, it's just, it's just so much better when you have somebody who's literally done it, that's going to say, this is how you can do it. And oh, watch out for that landmine. Don't step on that.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's really the, the value of mentorship. And, and now this exists and people do it, you know, we do it with other people, but back in 2005, when I got into real estate, it didn't exist. Now having said that I was also too arrogant to have to hire a mentor and that's Me too. <laughs> how, that's that's how I got into the restaurant business and and lost my shirt in the restaurant business cuz cuz I, I you know I had some money at the time and and who who needs help when you have have money. So you know had you had a mentor uh, if I had totally. a proper restaurant mentor or a house flipping mentor they would have explained the idea of okay you know what the whole thing about flipping houses or landlording is that it's actually not very active unless uh, it's not very passive unless you set it up properly yes. to generate passive income. And, from the you know, beginning. It, yeah, from the beginning. And, and it probably took you a minute to figure, figure that out.
1: It took me quite a while. In fact, like I said, my property manager started stealing from me because I didn't know how to vet property managers. I didn't, know how to, I didn't know the right questions to ask or the answers that they should give. Now, what I do with my students now is I literally walk them through how to build the business and do it right. And a lot of students will ask me, or we'll talk about finding a new area. Let's say they found, I don't know, Memphis, Tennessee, which is a pretty popular place right now. They found a place like Memphis, Tennessee and say, Dustin, I found this area. This is where I want to invest. I've already got five realtors looking for properties for me. I'm like, whoa, 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 stop everything. Realtors are the last step. Like wholesalers, realtors, like finding the properties is easy. Managing and running the business, making sure you're making money, hiring experts on the ground who are literally going to make sure you're going to be making money and saving money. That's hard. Like Zillow is not an expert. Redfin, Trulia, those are not experts. Those are just companies trying to get your money out of you. And so you want to hire the experts. And this is what I tell everybody now. We find an area of the country that has good inventory. Lots of properties that we want to buy. Lots of property that we can make in passive income. Then we, once we know there's inventory in that city, we pause looking at properties. Now we'll analyze some, but we're more than likely not going to buy them. They'll be gone by the time we build our business. But we then, after we do that, we find this area, just like if you're going to build a convenience store. Make sure you can get inventory. Then you have customers. Those two things are the number number one things. Then once you know you can get those, then you start building the business. Same thing with real estate investing. We find the property managers literally first. Like that's the first thing. Find the property manager. Because if you can't find somebody to manage your property, you're going to be pulling your hair out. I've had so many people go to me and say, Dustin, I can't can't take this property anymore. I don't want to be a landlord anymore. Will you just buy this property for me? Because they didn't do it right. I say, sure, I already have the business. Buy it from them. Good for me, bad for them. Put it right into my business. So that's what it looks like for me. Is we don't keep, we basically find inventory, and then we jump into finding property managers. Then we find the contractors, wholesalers, uh, plumbers, roofers, inspectors. You know, home inspectors, mortgage companies, hard money lenders. So like, we find everybody in the business before we bind any properties.
2: Yeah, that's that's awesome. I really love Dustin that you talk about inventory because I don't think. People talk about it enough, especially in our industry or our sector with, with multifamily. Is you people come and they're like, okay, let me start with a market. What market should I look at? And they're like, well, the hot one of the hottest markets is like Reno, Nevada. And I'm like, well, there's no inventory there. <laughs> like, good, <laughs> exactly. good luck scaling your, your business in that market versus, you know, we're in Atlanta. It took us a while to get into Atlanta. And now I could probably stay here forever because the inventory is, is like, it's like the second uh, most amount of inventory and in multifamily that you can find in any of the markets. And so, you know, I don't think people talk about that enough. And I love that you, you touched on that because that's, you need to scale the business. You have, there has to be available product in a market to go off of. And yeah,
1: so I'll quickly say the last thing you want to do is build an entire business, spend all that work, and you can only find maybe one or two properties and then you're done.
2: Yeah. How, how terrible would that be? So question I have for you is, so you, I'm sure you looked at both sides of the business. You probably looked at multifamily and single family. Why, why did you stick with uh, single family as your vehicle for financial freedom?
1: Well, if you remember back in 2005, 2006, when I first got started, there wasn't anybody as awesome as Michael that would show me how to do it. Everybody was literally, I, I'll give you exactly, this is literally what happened to me. I went. To, there was a, yeah two a.m. infomercial. Hey, we're coming to your town. Come to this free seminar. Went to the free seminar. Hour, literally hype, literally pumping up of everything. Then they say, okay, now run to the back. We'll take the first hundred people. We'll cut it down from a you know like ten thousand dollars to a thousand dollars. So you go to this two-day seminar. I did that. I spent a thousand dollars. Went to this two-day seminar. The whole thing was such a broad overview, you couldn't do anything. It was multifamily to flipping, to wholesaling, to rental properties. And then at the very end, the last of the second day, like half of the second day, the last day, was literally all a sales pitch to get 40 or 50 or 60,000. Like if you want flipping, it's $60,000. If you want wholesaling, it's $50,000. If you want um, a multifamily, it's $100,000. I was like, I don't have that money. Like even if I did, why would I give it to you? I'd learn from a school of hard knocks. And so that's what I did. I took that money and I bought our first property Now I know. Now after you know uh, knowing Michael and everything that he does here, it's like I want to play Monopoly. Monopoly is the best way to get wealthy. But I know Michael says you could jump right into multifamily. For me, convincing my wife just to buy one house, let alone an apartment complex, was hard. Now we are personally we invest in syndications. Now I love putting my money to work in passive um, investing in syndications as well. I'd love to get in my own multifamily. Just keep playing. Monopoly all the way up.
0: So what would you, you're looking back on your career, and if you could have a conversation with your younger
1: self, what what would you do differently knowing what you know now? It would, two things. Number one is definitely build the business first. That's, no matter which business you're building, it could be a multifamily, it could be single family, like I do residential, so that's four, four units and below. Once you, obviously you guys know everybody, your audience is much, most likely everybody on this podcast and listening to this is much smarter than me. I'm not very, very smart. It's just addition, subtraction, a little bit of multiplication, you know, just add up all your expenses, Remember, business, add up your expenses, and then you get your income. That's our rents. And that difference is our passive income. That's really what it comes down to. And the multiplication is if you want to scale to quit your job, you just multiply that out how many you need. Like I said, 20 properties is $60,000 a month. But what I would do differently is, and I eventually fixed it and figured it out, was to build the business first and then get more people in place to do the work so that I don't have to do this. Another thing I'll quickly add this is the reason why I created Master Passive Income, my uh, podcast YouTube channel, was because when I bought my first property, I was like, man. I feel like I've mastered passive income because I don't do anything. I bought one property and it makes me money. And I don't do anything. Like I said, other property managers work for me. But here's the thing. It's not just the rental properties. There's so many different ways of doing passive income. Now that I've quit my job, I literally have 40 plus hours of my life back from working for somebody else that now I create more businesses that make so much more money. Like We cannot pass down our jobs to our kids. We can't do that. Like Our kids cannot get our jobs. But our businesses, our real estate, our knowledge, we can absolutely pass that down. Now, I'm investing for generational wealth, so I can literally pass this down to my kids.
2: Dustin, that's awesome. I love that. What kind of advice would you give someone that's just getting started in real estate and doesn't know where to get started?
1: Uh, the biggest I'm, Michael, you hit, on, hit it on the head. You really want to get around somebody who's done it before who already knows the roadmap, already knows how to get there. Like if you're driving from, let's say, New York, and you want to go to Disneyland, which is all the way across the country, not not Disney World, but Disneyland in California, you you don't want to just start driving and try to figure out the way. Just ask people along the way who have no clue how to get there. You want to get the person who's been there, knows everything about it, has the map, and they're going to show you how to get there. Same thing with anything in life, in my opinion, because we all get, I wouldn't say tricked into it, but we're taught, go to school. And that's where you get all your information. There are so many good ways. I would, I personally believe better ways than going to school to get education. So what I would love to see is that more people get around great other mentors, coaches, just experts that are like, like uh, where we're at now. I just wanna help people. Like my goal is to get a thousand people to invest in real estate because I know the more that I serve, the better my life gets and the better other people's lives get. And the last thing I'll quickly share in this uh, last part was, There are four things, four legacies that we should strive to leave in our life or have in our life. Number one is a money legacy. You have enough money to buy whatever you want, do whatever you want with that. The second one, that money leads into a time legacy. So the money leads into time. Now you have enough time to go wherever you want, do whatever you want, to build businesses and all that sort of stuff. The third one is a relationships legacy. So money leads into time, time leads into relationships building into your kids and your spouse and your neighbors and every, you're building in your relationships. So each one leads in the other. The last one I'm blessed to be at this one where I'm at a service legacy. I have the money, which gives me the time. Time gives me the relationships. And now I am trying to build those relationships into serving more people. Now my goal is to literally show as many people how to invest in real estate, how to change your life, get financial freedom, all that sort of stuff. And so getting to that service legacy is so amazing. It's so much more rewarding than anything else.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. I, I just sense your, your, your passion about real estate and financial freedom. So you and I see eye and eye on that. That's really cool. Hey, Dustin, where can people find out more about you?
1: Yeah. So I have a real estate investing course. I love just giving it away for free. Would you mind if I shared that? No, go ahead. Awesome. So my real estate investing course, I'll literally give it to you for free. If you text the word rental, R E N T A L, to 33777, rental to 33777. Or you can go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course, all one word, forward slash free course. I'll literally give it to you, show you how, how I do it, how my me and my students do it, how we find an area of the country we need to invest, how we build the business first, how we make sure that we have the right people doing the right work for us and how to scale the business to quit our jobs. I just love helping everybody else. Plus, I have my Master Passive Income podcast. Like I said, it's just me coaching, just literally just teaching how to do this, my YouTube channel, all that sort of stuff. So just try to help as many people as possible.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been great, Dustin. Thanks for uh, inspiring our tribe, man. It's been great, and uh, look forward to staying connected with you.
1: Absolutely, Michael. Thanks a lot, Michael and Garrett. I appreciate it. Uh, It's
0: pretty impressive that Dustin was able to quit his job, but of course, unfortunately, it took him five years to quit his job. Oh my goodness! Most of our people are doing in one to two years. I was bantering with him a little bit before the show and making fun of him a little bit in all good jest. The most important thing is that he took action and uh, got himself to quit his job with real estate we have a way to do it much faster than that. Most people do it in one to two years. And that's the power really of raising capital and investing in apartment buildings. But what I really like about, and this is the, you know, I, I was somewhat affected by this, is he really talked about surrounding yourself with people who have done what you wanna do. And this is a common theme in a lot of things. And, and I think the issue is a temptation is that we as entrepreneurs, we're smart, we're resourceful. We can figure this stuff out. Just because you can figure it out, doesn't mean you should. Okay, doesn't mean you should. Now, in in Dustin's defense in 2005, he's right, there was no mentors. And I was looking, I did take a seminar, it was maybe mildly better than what he was describing, but it certainly was not to the level of depth that we have now where we get down into precise detail, step by step of how to find it, how to find an apartment building deal certainly don't have mentors around that can actually help you that was not available. And if you're listening to this right now, and you do value mentorship, man. We'd like to have a conversation with you. We have some rockstore full-time syndicators that are helping other people and are we just really successful in helping our students do their first deal and quit their job. So if that is you, Check us out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and just book a call with us. Let's just see where that conversation goes. But it's a great way to get your your first deal done faster, scale scale bigger, and avoid some of the bigger mistakes. So mentorship is available. And, uh, and if you can, then definitely take advantage of that. Garrett, what stuck out for you?
2: Yeah, I loved how he talked about building the business first. Yeah. I think that's super important. You go in, try to buy a property, but you don't have anything lined up. Uh, your attorney, your property manager, your systems, you know those things, I think anyone should be thinking about those in advance and building them in advance or at least parallel track it with your acquisition so that it's ready to go. So when you actually buy the business, like he said, that's just the inventory. And then you have the business, which is everything that you built around it. So I I love that he said that.
0: I love that treating it as a business is so important. It changes your mindset. It's not something I'm going to do on the side and see if it works. It's like, I know it's going to work. Let me just build a structure around it. In fact, that's how we teach in our Dealmaker Blueprint is you're actually building your business kind of up front, so you have your team ready to go. So brokers take you seriously. And now all you're really doing is you are literally adding inventory to a business that's already there to take care of yourself. So I like that. I think the idea of treating a business is a is a, is a big one. And one of the challenges early early on is achieving consistency in your business. Sometimes you have a home run, and we had this as that you have a home run, and then, then you kind of have a dog, right? You're like, ah, this inconsistency. And really what we want to do with our investing company, Nighthawk Equity, is achieve a high degree of consistency. So we basically always return what's expected. And if you're interested in passively investing, like Dustin has started doing in syndications, we'd love to have a conversation with you with Nighthawk Equity. Uh, Go to nighthawkequity.com. Click the join button. You can schedule a call with uh, with, with us on the investing side and uh, and see if that's something that's right for you. So check that out, nighthawkequity.com if you want to invest passively in syndication, or maybe you want a little bit of both. You want to do active and passive. A lot of people do that as well. So any in any way, the bottom line is this dustin was very very excited about real estate it is it is the most efficient vehicle to achieve financial freedom with passive income he had to work a little harder to do it with single family but because he approached it from an intentional business he was able to achieve that it's not easy to do It's much easier to do with apartments because the professional management is already built in. But whatever you do, make sure you approach it from a business perspective. So you build a business that actually does generate you passive income and make you financially free. So either way, I hope you were inspired by this. Now go out there and stop listening to this podcast and take some action. See you guys in the next episode.
1: Thanks for listening take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out, or looking to scale your syndication business, or looking to invest passively, head over to the slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.